We're going to be continuing with a series we began last week, um, Flourishing in the Flux. Last week, we saw that the flux was a place of disorientation that draws us to a deeper dependence on God. Flux is a place in our life, is a season in our life where everything is fluid and everything is constantly changing. Flux is a place where no matter how hard we try, we cannot be in control. It's a place where our familiar formulas of work, of life and work, will just not work. And because we can't control things in the flux, we learn to depend on God more. Flux is a new word for us. You know, it's, a re- it's something new that we're kind of exploring uh, since last week. But it is a very strong biblical idea. And this week, we're going to be reflecting on, on the call to the flux, on God calling us into the flux. And we're going to be seeing how deeply embedded this idea is all through the Bible. Uh, the passage we're looking at this, this evening is Matthew chapter 6, verses 35 uh, to 25 to 34. I've requested Taru to read it out uh, for us. It's also there on the screen. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is God. Thank you, Taru. This passage is another example of the strong call of God upon every one of our lives to seek the flux, to live in the flux, and to flourish in the flux. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We are called to seek the kingdom of God. What I'm, going to, what I'm hoping to do this evening is to help us see that to seek the kingdom of God, we must necessarily seek the flux. To seek the kingdom of God, we must necessarily seek the flux. We cannot seek God's kingdom from a place of comfort where we are in full control of our lives. We cannot seek the kingdom of God from a place of strength. 
if we are indeed trying to seek God's kingdom from a place of strength or comfort, it means we have not understood what God's kingdom truly is. We can see God's kingdom only from a place of weakness, only from a place of place of brokenness, from a place of disorientation, from a place of absolute and desperate dependence on God. And last week we saw that flux is a place which can actually bring forth this dependence on God. And so what I'd like to do this evening is to unpack two crucial aspects of the kingdom of God and then help us see through this that we can truly seek the kingdom of God only if we embrace the flux. I want to draw two things first. How the already but not yet nature of the kingdom of God calls us to embrace the flux. And second, how the upside down nature of the kingdom of God calls us to embrace the flux. The already but not yet nature of God's kingdom and how that calls us to embrace the flux and the upside down nature of God's kingdom and how that calls us to embrace the flux. Let's look at the first thing. Some of us may be familiar with this, with this idea or with this phrase of, of the kingdom of God being already here, but not yet here. And this already, but not yet nature of the kingdom of God is an extremely important piece of theological understanding that helps us to wrestle with many of the real challenges every one of us will face in life. I'm going to take a couple of minutes to ex- explain this concept and then I'm really going to break it down in, in, in real practical terms. When Jesus began his ministry, he began his ministry calling forth to people saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God has come. But then when he taught his disciples to pray, this is how he taught them to pray. Our father in heaven, holy be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So which is it? Is the kingdom of God at hand? Has the kingdom of God already come? Or is the kingdom of God something we should pray for in in the distant future to come here? So which of this is true? Both actually. God made this world beautiful. God made this world perfect. But human human beings sinned and and, and we messed it up. And God sent his son, Christ Jesus, to die to wipe out our sins, to rise again from the dead. And Jesus, after his resurrection from the dead, ascended into heaven. And one day he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to make the world beautiful all over again. So the kingdom of God was initiated when Jesus died and rose again from the dead. Or even it was initiated even when he came as a man here on earth. The kingdom of God, which was initiated with the incarnation of Christ, is going to be fully established when Christ comes here a second time. And so we are now in between these two milestones of God's plan to redeem the world. We are now in the already but not yet season of the kingdom of God. This 
is not really very hard to understand. If you've tracked the US elections, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Once every four years, the president of the US is elected mostly in the month of in early November. Now, even though the president is elected in early November, he is sworn in only on the 20th of January every year. And this gap of three months when the president has been elected and is yet to be sworn in is what we call the already but not yet space. So we're in a season which we call the already, the kingdom of God is already here and yet the kingdom of God is not yet here. Let me now unpack this idea in very practical terms. Let's take one question, one big question that we all wrestle with. Why is there suffering in the world? This question should should never paralyze a real disciple of Jesus. It should never paralyze us because we know that the kingdom of God is already here. So we labor in God's power to ease the suffering of people in every way possible at great cost, even to ourselves. And even as we do that, we also know that the kingdom of God is not yet fully here. So even as we labor to ease the suffering of the world, we also wait for Christ Jesus to come back and make this world beautiful and perfect once again. And this principle, this mindset of laboring with the, with the best of our abilities, not, not holding anything back and yet waiting for Christ to come and make all things, all things beautiful again is how we should be living in this already but not yet season. I mean, give us one more example which brings it really home to us. Take the struggle with sin that you and I face every single day. Christ has already redeemed us. When he cried, it is finished on the cross. It is indeed finished. He has redeemed us. The Holy Spirit is living in us. And the Bible says that we are united with Christ. The Bible says we are partakers in the divine nature of Christ. And this is the already of the kingdom of God in us. But there is also a not yet. We still do end up sinning. We do give in to temptation. And even as we allow God to sanctify us daily, we still wait eagerly for Christ to come back and transform our lowly bodies into the likeness of his glorious body to the extent that we will never, ever sin again. This is the crucial piece of gospel truth that I'm trying to communicate to us this evening. Stay with me here for just just a moment. Here's the essence of what I'm trying to get across. While we will experience many victories, we will not be able to have it all together in this life. And that's okay. Because the best is yet to come. Let me repeat that. I think this is the essence of living in the already but not yet. While we will experience many victories, we won't be able to have it all together in life. And that's okay. Because the best is yet to come. And this is the flux of the already but not yet nature 
of the kingdom of God that we must joyfully embrace. We are all called to live in this flux, knowing that God has already redeemed us, and yet he's going to come again to redeem us. This has some extremely true and helpful implications as we live our lives in this fallen and broken world. I'm going to try and unpack a few for us. Our careers will see good and bad, and we will never, never have a perfect career here on earth. And that's okay, because the best is yet to come. We will see joyful days of singlehood, and we will see lonely and sorrowful days of singlehood. And that's also okay, because the best is yet to come. Those that do get married will see the good and the bad, and I must say the ugly of their spouses. We will never have the perfect spouse here on earth. And that's okay, because the best is yet to come. Those that marry and have children will see the good of their children, will see the bad of their children, and I can assure you that the children will also see the good and the bad of their parents but there's no such thing as a perfect childhood or as perfect or perfect parents and that too is okay because the best is yet to come every ache in our heart every longing every desire of our heart will be met but only to some extent none of our deepest longings will ever be met fully in this life And that's okay, because the best is yet to come. To seek the kingdom of God is to live, to seek and to live in this reality that I just outlined practically. And this is a flux we're all called to live in. So embrace the flux of living in the already but not yet place that God has called every single one of us to live in. Now, there are two ways in which we can live in this flux between the already and the not yet of God's kingdom. The passage we just read, it shows us these two ways specifically. The first first way, which is verse 25, it says, do not be anxious of your life. And verse 30 where Jesus says, you of little faith. Faith is presented as the opposite of anxiety in the context of this passage. So there are two ways we can live in the already but not yet season of God's kingdom. First, we can live by anxiety or we can live by faith. We can be anxious and worry and be distraught and confused or we can put our faith in King Jesus who we know will come back one day and make every aspect of our lives beautiful, perfect, and wholesome once again. That's the first thing. To live in the already but not yet space of God's kingdom means necessarily to live in the flux. We are saved and we are still being saved. 
And that brings us to the second thing I wanted to draw for us from this passage. How the upside down nature of the kingdom of God calls us to embrace the flux. How the upside down nature of the kingdom of God calls us to embrace the flux. Over and over and over again in the Bible, we see things getting turned around, turned backwards, turned upside down. The way things in the work in this world is not the way things work in the Bible. Jesus did not come as a conquering hero. He came as a suffering servant. Jesus is equal to God. Jesus is God himself, but he emptied himself and made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, who was rich with all the riches of heaven, yet for your sake and mine, he became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. Jesus said that in his kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. Jesus said that whoever wanted to be the greatest in the servant, in the kingdom of God, must become a servant. The apostle Paul said, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. In the famous Sermon on Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth, not the strong and the pushy. Everything in the kingdom of God is upside down in the context of the way we know things are done in the world that we live in. The same applies to our salvation too. We did not receive our salvation by being strong and telling Christ Jesus, see how good my life is. Now, please accept me. That's not how any of us were saved. Not at all. We received our salvation by being weak and repentant and saying, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner unable to save myself. Will you please save me? And so the same way of weakness and repentance that gave us our salvation is also the way of growing spiritually in our walk with Christ Jesus. So this kingdom pattern of life, of life through death, of power through service, of happiness through sacrifice is seen all over the Bible. From beginning to end, the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. It just does not work the way the world works. And so every one of us, we are in a state of flux because every single day we experience deep and fierce conflict in our hearts when it comes to living between the values, the upside down values of the kingdom of God and the values of the world. This upside down nature of the kingdom of God challenges our very orientation. It reverses our center of gravity and it can be extremely disorienting. I mean, try living out the first will be the last and the last will be the first in the context of your workplace and mine. This too has significant implications of how we live our lives. In our careers, we don't grow by demanding what is due to us. 
That's the way of the world. But the way of the kingdom, the upside down way of the kingdom of God is we grow by joyfully serving with excellence, whether or not we get what we deserve or we get what we think we deserve. In our relationships, we don't demand that others meet our needs, but we find joy and delight in sacrificially serving others. In society, we don't look to befriend the rich and the famous and the influential so that we may some way benefit from them at some point of time, but we we befriend the weak and the poor and the marginalized so that they may benefit from us in every way. This is living in the flux of the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. Every single cell in our body will resist this. Every single cell in our body will reject this. This is not how we want to live. This is not, an, not the natural inclination of, the sinful, of our sinful hearts. But Christ can and will and is empowering us to rise above these selfish inclinations one day at a time. In the kingdom of God, the way up is the way down. And here too, just like we saw in the passage, there are two ways to live. We can remain anxious and desperately and greedily and shamelessly grab everything we want in life. Or we can wait in faith, knowing our heavenly father will give us everything we need. Let me put, let me place both the aspects of flux in the kingdom of God that we just saw in, in, in a slightly different perspective. So we can kind of really see it through the prism of our own lives. The already but not yet aspect of the kingdom of God will test what we want the most in life. Anything that we want will never be perfect. Can we live with that? Can we live with that and the hope of the perfect world to come? So the already but not yet aspect will test what we want the most in life. But the upside down nature of the kingdom of God will test how we are trying to get what we want. Are we trying to get what we want in the way of the world, where the way up is the way up? Or are we trying to get it in the way of the kingdom of God, where the least shall be the greatest and the last shall be first? Flux is this place of disorientation where both what we want in life and how we try and get what we want in life are both sanctified. Could we, in this moment, acknowledge that both need to be sanctified in your life and mine? Could we take a moment to just acknowledge that what we want in life needs to be sanctified? Could we take a moment to acknowledge that how we are trying to get what we want in life needs to be sanctified. It is so hard to live in this twin nature 
of the kingdom of God. And that's why I'm calling it the flocks. It is a place of disorientation. It is a place where we are caught off balance. It is a place where we are torn. And yes, and yet, it is only in the flux and never in comfort or strength that we will grow in our dependence on God. If you're feeling intimidated, intimidated right now, as I am, if you're feeling, if you're thinking, how on earth are we going to live like this in the world outside? If this is so hard, are we ever going to find the faith to embrace this flux? The answer is yes. And the answer is right here in the passage that we are looking at. Look at verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. The key phrase here is our heavenly father. That's the key. Our heavenly father. You see, all that's happening here in this passage is not something that's happening just between God and his subjects. It is happening between our heavenly father and his beloved children. The kingdom of God that we're talking about is not something that's happening between God and his subjects. It's not a God and his subjects relationship that's playing out here. It's a father and his beloved children relationship that's playing out here. Christianity is the only religion in the world that gives you the relationship and the intimacy and the joy of having God as your father. No other religion in the world has has any, any rational or theological basis for calling God your father. It is only in the Bible that God sent his beloved son, Christ Jesus, to die on the cross, bearing the sins of everyone who would believe in him. It is only in the Bible that through the precious sacrifice of Christ Jesus, that God not only forgives our sins, but God also adopts us as his children. And this too has significant implications in helping us to embrace and live in the flocks of the kingdom of God. If God allowed his son, Christ Jesus, to suffer for your good and mine, do you think all that he wants for us is to be rich, successful, and famous, even if it does no good to our souls? Deep down, that's what we want, isn't it? To be rich, to be successful, to be famous. Think about your lives last week. Did we spend our lives last week trying to be rich, successful, and famous? Or did we spend last week trying to become more Christ-like? What was last month like? What was last year like? Every one of us, without exception, myself first. The fuel, the the motivation for our lives is to be rich. Successful 
and famous. It might look different for each of us, but deep down, that's what we are all striving for. You see, it is because we have absolutized this desire. We, it is because we have absolutized being rich, successful, and famous that we need the flux to come back to our senses and pursue Christ-likeness more than any of these things. Our Heavenly Father knows we need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added, added unto you. Jesus did not redeem us so that we can be rich, famous, and successful. Jesus redeemed us so that we would be like him in every way. And that does not exclude being rich, famous, and successful. It does not exclude that. It says, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto you. Money, fame, success will not make us Christ-like. Only the flux, only this disorientation, only the sense of being torn into two in the already and not yet, and in the upside-down nature of God's kingdom, that's what's going to make us Christ-like. This tension is never going to go away in our lives. If we are feeling this tension, that means we are alive to Christ and dying to the world. If we don't feel that tension, that means we're living to the world and dying to Christ. So flux is something that's going to continue with us. We're going to be in the flux for the rest of our lives. We're never going to come to a place where we say, I have conquered this. I'm now living by the way of the kingdom of God. No, that's why it's called the already, but the not yet space. So this evening is an invitation to live in the tension. This evening is not an invitation to resolve that tension. Stay alive to that tension. If you're experiencing that tension, you and I, we need to celebrate because that is the Holy Spirit making the grace of God come alive in our hearts. Let's not push that under the carpet. When you experience that tension in your workplace, when you experience that tension, when you make decisions about your finances, about your marriage, about your life, stay in that tension. Let's let's not ignore it. Let's not be indifferent to that tension because it is in this tension that the Spirit of God is working in us. It is in this flux that the Spirit of God is working in us. Allow me to pray. Father, we desire so many things to be perfect. Our marriages, our careers, our finances, our church. We desire everything to be perfect with no disruptions whatsoever. We become anxious. We become depressed. We become distraught. We start questioning you. We start uh, becoming angry with you. We start sulking. We ignore you. When anything, Lord, just, just goes even a little bit beyond the way we want to control it. Change us. Change us, Lord, we pray. 
teach us to embrace the flux, teach us to embrace disorientation and disruption. And in that disruption, Lord, draw us closer to you. Help us to live in this tension of being in the world and not of it, of the already but not yet, and of the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. We thank you for your faithfulness because you have committed to us that you will never leave us alone. You will never leave us nor forsake us. You said, behold, I am with you even to the end of this world. And that is all we need, Lord. We know that your goodness is always coming after us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.